Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krause is from the series Meant to Live. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, good morning, Forward Church, and welcome. I'm glad that you're here today to worship with us. We are continuing in this series titled Meant to Live, where we're studying through the book of 1 Peter. So today, we're beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3, as we work verse by verse through this great book. So if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible from under your chair or, or from your lap or on your phone and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's on page 1015. 1015 in that Bible, it's under your chair if you need that. It's also going to be on the screens for you in just a moment for your convenience. But last week, I stated that we were studying through um, some difficult texts to preach. And, and it was because no one wants to preach about submission to our government or submission. It was talking about slaves to slave owners as well. And that was some difficult um, scripture to study through and to, to learn from and to preach and to teach. And um, it was one of those where it's just kind of a little bit heavy. But I think that I may have gotten wrong a little bit because I think this week is even a little more difficult. Okay, it's a, a tough one, not one of those that if we were just teaching topically that we would say, hey, let's let's preach about this. But that's what I love about preaching straight through books of the Bible is it causes us to deal with tough topics, tough issues, and and tough things that God has to say to us, and we learn from that, and, and I love doing that. But this passage that we're looking at today, it's very misunderstood. This passage has been abused, and it has been ignored by many because it's, if we just have a surface understanding of it, it goes against everything that we want to believe. It goes against what we think makes sense. It goes against how we in our flesh would naturally react. So Peter's explaining to the church that their marriages should reflect the love of Jesus. And last week, he was talking about how you submit to the authority that God puts over you that shows others how you live a life in Christ and how you're meant to reflect Jesus in all that you do. And you submit like Jesus did, um, but never submitting to to man whenever they call or ask you to do something against God. Remember, it was you submit to God first and you make sure you're following him. And the way that he begins to explain marriage, it doesn't make sense to us and in our natural opinions on this matter. It doesn't make sense to us the way that we would naturally think things would would work. It goes against what we would naturally do. And that's why I think most marriages today don't follow God's plan. And we know that that is true. There There are so many marriages that are not following God's plan and the results are very telling. So we're gonna dig into some deep stuff today and so, some issues that, that, that we see happening because in February, the Pew Research Center, they stated this, that marriage rates have declined. And there's a reason for that. In America, the marriage rates have declined and divorce rates have increased among older Americans. So they see less people getting married. They see more people getting divorced. Young adults, when um, they did the, this um, survey, they found that they're more reluctant to marry and are waiting till later in life. The, the average now has gone up to 28 years old for women, waiting to be 28 at least before they get married. And for men, it's 30 years old. Then if you you Compare that to what the census.gov, the latest um, research they have, says that among those ages 18 to 24, more couples are living together now than are getting married. So now it's, it's switched, and now more couples are living together than are getting married. And that's because these young couples are seeing these older couples getting divorced at an alarming rate, and they're seeing this model of marriage doesn't work, and they're thinking, well, in my opinion, in my mind, what I'll do is I'll, I'll test drive this for a while, right? I'll try to figure this out. Is this going to work? So they live together first, even though the statistics prove that when you live together first, there's a higher rate of divorce. 
divorce. So see, in our minds, in our opinion, in the way we try to work things out, it's clearly not working, yet we're still going against God's plan, thinking we can figure it out and we have a better plan, and then we see the results are not good. The, the, the numbers just prove that. So clearly what we're trying is not working out too well. So God has some things to say about that. In his word and and in that time when he when the Bible was written there was marriage issues there as well so this has always been a thing um, we, we can't think that wow right now it's just is worse than it's ever been I mean it's bad but we've got to understand that God was speaking to this even in the biblical time uh, of how to have a healthy marriage and what that should look like so we're gonna look at what God has to say and we're gonna dig deeper than just a surface understanding of this text and we're gonna find out what God is teaching us through this and it's one again like I said it's been misunderstood and it's one of those that that's a difficult one to dig into so we have to remind ourselves that we can't let our opinions shape our understanding of God's Word so I think too often we go to God's word and we have opinions, we have thoughts on how things should work and how they should be, and we try to find scriptures that, that fit and match what we want to believe and what we want to think is okay. What we've got to do is shift that and let God's word shape us. You see, that's what his word is supposed to do. It's supposed to shape us and mold us and train us and teach us and sometimes rebuke us in and, and what we think is right because often we find out that the way we think is right doesn't necessarily work out so we've got to look at God's word today and let it shape us not let our opinions shape it so before I read I want us to agree to ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and to open our minds to what God desires to teach us anytime you go to study God's word you should be asking God saying God would you by the power of your Holy Spirit teach me what you're saying here in your word because let's face it God's word it's difficult to read sometimes it's hard to understand it if we don't know the context and and if we don't have the Holy Spirit revealing to us just what God is saying here so we have to learn the context and and understand that though we might not feel like it's right at first glance we're committing to digging deeper to seek the Lord's will and to understand say God what are you trying to teach me through this God would your word shape my heart would your word shape my thoughts and and not let my thoughts and my opinions shape my understanding of what you're saying here so I want to humbly suggest that that we listen to what God has to say regarding husbands and wives and how we are meant to live within our marriages and I want to let you know if you're single don't zone out this sermon is very important for you as well. If you're young, if you're single, if you're older and you're single, um, you know, what you will learn today can and will save you from a ton of heartache in the future if and when you do get married, and it will help you in relationships as well. So with all that preparation, you know, this is, is relevant for every one of us. It's important for us. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read from 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verse 1. And before we read, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord to, to speak to us today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your holy word, and we're thankful that we can each hold a Bible in our hands, and that we can have the opportunity to read from your word, Lord, that is spoken, that's inspired, and we believe that this is infallible. We believe that it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us in righteousness. And Father, we believe that this is your word. So Lord, as we study it today, our prayer is that you would speak into our hearts, Lord, that you would shape our hearts, that you would teach us, that, that we, if we've had wrong thinking in this area, or if we've, um, maybe, maybe our thinking is right, but we're wrong living, maybe we're not applying it to our lives correctly, Lord, would you help us to today to apply your word to our lives that we would look more like Jesus as we walk out of here today than we did when we came in. We thank you for your holy scriptures and as we study them may you illuminate them in our hearts 
what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's teach, let's learn, let's learn from God's word. Um, Ephesians, or, sorry, 1 Peter, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Amen. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You see what I'm talking about? This is not an easy one for us to, to study through and to, to look at because as I read through that, I'm sure some of you are tensing up a little bit and some of you are thinking, oh boy, here, what's he going to say about this today? Well, my prayer is that what I say is what God says and that we, we dig into his word and we learn what he is teaching us here. In verse 1, it says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So look at that first word, likewise. I circled that in my Bible. Very important word, likewise. What, what does that mean? He's saying, likewise, as in what I've already told you. Remember, we can't just pluck this out of the Bible and just read it. You've got to learn in context what I've just told you, what I've spent time in chapters 1 and 2 sharing with you. Likewise, like we talked about last week, he's talking about submitting to government authorities, submitting to your boss, submitting to the authority that God has put over you. How we display Jesus to those we submit to is, is important in our lives. So he's saying, likewise, just like you submit to a boss, just like you submit to the government, likewise, he's saying, now, wives, you submit to your husband. Notice this does not say women become subject to all men. That's not what this says. And that's one of the ways that this has been taken so out of context and abused. This is where people get so mixed up on it. This has nothing to do with prohibiting women from leading in the workplace or leading in government or leading in schools. This has nothing to do with that. This has everything to do with leadership within a home, within a marriage. He says, wives, be subject to your own husband. He's not saying you be subject to every man out there. He's not saying you be subject to someone else's husband. He's saying to your own husband within your marriage relationship, you be subject to your own husband because there's this leadership component that God has established for the man to take in the home. And when it is embraced properly and lived out as God intends, he says the marriage will flourish. So he's talking to the women right now. He spends six verses on the women and then one verse on the men. And um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But right now he's talking to the women and he's saying that the family and the, the marriage will flourish if it is lived out this way. Listen, what we need to understand men is that when a man leads his family the way God intends for him to lead, amazing things happen. When men lead in the way that God has called men to lead, incredible things happen the way God intends it to do. If you look at this recent statistic regarding a man's leadership influence in the home, um, check this screen out. It's going to be on the screen. This shows us, this was just recently done, that when a man becomes a Christian first in the family and he lives a godly life and he leads his family well, 93% of the families follow. 
So 93% of the time, when the man becomes a Christian first and he starts to lead his family, 93% of the time, the family follows, they become Christians as well. When the mom becomes a Christian first, only 17% of the time, the family follows. When the children become Christian first, only 3.5% of the time, the families follow. This is an incredible statistic showing us men how important it is for us to lead well. Showing us men that God has put something in place for us as men to be the leaders of our families, to lead them well, to point them to Jesus. And if we're doing that the way God calls us to, 93% of the time, that is a great statistic. That 93% of the time, our family's going to follow. So this challenges us men to become men worth following right? We need to be men worth following. We need to be men worth submitting to. We need to be living our lives the way God has called us to, to live, and then our wives will find it easy to submit to our leadership. But we see that, that most of the time, men aren't leading the way God's called men to lead, so then women find it hard to submit that leadership that's not good, and then you see the women then rise up to start to lead and not, not allow the man to lead, and you see this just mixed up mess, and that's why marriages are falling apart. But men, if we would step up and rise up to this great calling that God has for us and we would lead well and love well, then we see how those numbers change and how the family begins to flourish. And now, singles out there, what I would, what I would say is that if, um, if guys, young teenagers, if you would begin working now on becoming men worth following, this is gonna pay huge dividends for you. If you're a young man in this place or you're single in here, you have to start asking yourself, am I living a humble life? Am I respectful to others? Am I a hard worker? Am I worth following? Can I provide for a family? You know, do, do you strive to honor Jesus in everything that you do? Are you spiritually strong? Are you growing spiritually mature? Are you diving into God's word? Are you getting closer to him? Are you looking like Jesus in your life? And are you becoming a man that is worth following? You have to ask yourself those things and, and be challenged by that and, and, and prepare yourself for the future because it's not just going to happen at the snap of a finger. What, the day you get married, you don't all of a sudden become a leader and say, okay, now I'm a great guy worth following. It's preparation. It is time. It is, you know, where's your heart and are you growing into that man that's worth submitting to? You know, um, this fall, I'm planning to have a men's study titled Manhood Restored. Because I think that men, especially men in the church, us men, uh, Christian men, we need to have our manhood restored. We need to learn what it means to be a, a man that's gospel-centered, a man that looks like Christ, a man that leads like Christ, a man that loves and protects and pastors and provides for his wife and his family. We need that in the church, and we see a desperate need for it. So this fall, we're going to start a study called Manhood Restored, and I hope every man, every young man, every, every married man, every single man in this church will be a part of that because it's going to be life-changing for us to help us learn how to lead because it's a difficult thing. I get it. It's hard to lead. I struggle, and I've struggled throughout my life, and how do I lead my wife? How do I lead my family? And that's something that, that the enemy's always trying to attack us on, so we've got to get together. We've got to encourage one another. We've got to learn what it means to restore manhood and to live as God calls us to live. So keep, keep a lookout for that study, and we're going to um, hopefully start that in the fall. Girls, what I would say to you in this, in this room, I just addressed the teenage men. Young girls, look for a guy you need to be looking for a guy that is honoring God with his life. Don't look for a guy that you think you can change. So often, so often, so often, we hear the story, we know the story. Well, I think I can change him. I can lead him to Christ. I can help him become a better guy. What you've got to start doing is looking for guys that are worth following. 
the very first thing you should look for, a good friend of mine, he, he leads um, a college ministry at UofL, and he tells the young men and women all the time, he says, you make a detailed list right now. Before you get in a relationship, you start making a detailed list. Give the top 10 characteristics of what your future spouse should fulfill and be detailed with it. Be specific. Set high godly standards. He says you go over the top with it and then do not compromise. If you begin a relationship with someone, you start to get to know someone. If they don't meet the things on that list, then you go to another one. Because God, if you start praying for a, for a future spouse that meets those high standards, God will provide that. And he, he shares that all the time in his college ministry. And he says, girls, you look for a guy that honors God with their lives. You look for a guy that, that, that loves Jesus more than they love you. And you start to ask, is this guy, is he initiating prayer with me? Does he like to spend time in prayer with me? Does the guy that you want to date or are looking to date or are dating, does he invite you to church or are you trying to drag him to church? You look for a guy that's leading spiritually, that loves the Lord, that's involved in their church, not just going to church, they're actually doing things in their church and they're growing and they're, they're connected and they're looking like Jesus in their life. You look for a guy that's gonna treat you like a precious child of God that you are. You look for a guy that respects you and honors you and cherishes you and you see that is what is going to lead to a healthy marriage you find a guy like that and all of a sudden this whole submission thing begins to work itself out you see the problem is we don't necessarily set those standards and then then the submission thing sounds a lot more harsh than what it really is and the submission thing sounds like well I'm not going to submit to that guy because he doesn't respect me he doesn't honor me he doesn't lead me well well, men, we got to respect and honor and lead well in order to understand and have this type of dynamic in our marriage. And marriage is still going to be challenging. It just is because it's two different lives coming together, but it's going to be so much less challenging when you're both focused on keeping God at the center. You know, that's what you know, Tanya and I, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And, and we have found that throughout our 25 years, in those seasons when we're both focused on God, we're leaning towards him and we're loving each other and we're selfless in our marriage. And I'm trying to lead, I'm trying to pastor and provide and protect for her. And then and, and she's living in submission to my leadership and, and we're working together and, and, and we're making decisions together. But then ultimately the leadership decision finally comes down and falls on my shoulders. I'm able to make a much better well-informed decision when we're working and serving together like that because we're trying to honor God with our relationship now when I start to get selfish and I start to think of my own my own desires my own wants then all of a sudden that friction comes right you see he's saying you live this selfless type of life and your marriage will flourish so Peter tells us the most effective method for 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 um, your marriage is living this way. And then he begins to, to talk a little bit about um, having a, an unsaved husband. So Peter tells the most effective way for winning them to the Lord is through the life that they lead. So what we have to do is we have to try to understand what submission does and doesn't mean here in this passage. It's, it's not a sign of inferiority or of weakness. It's not keeping all of your opinions to yourself and being a silent partner. It's not just, just not being a part of the family. What the Bible means with the submissive wife is this. He's saying you lovingly explain your position on decisions that need to be made. You be involved and engaged in your family. When you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, this woman is not someone who's not involved with her family. She is involved. She's providing for her. She's protecting she's raising the kids she is important in that family dynamic and and this is saying you know you share your perspective on issues you you um you discuss topics that are family related and then you 
um, ultimately yield to then his leadership. And you say, you know what, I respect your decision in this. You've got to make the decision. And, and you try to make that together, but then ultimately allow him to have that leadership mantle. And what that does is that gives him um, he feels respected. He feels that, okay, I am the leader here, and he's able to make an informed decision for the family. So when you have a God-honoring husband, um, that should work out really well. There'll still be differences of opinion. There's still gonna be times where it's difficult, but that's gonna work out much better. Now, if he's not a Christian, then hopefully he's a smart husband that will seek wise counsel and will change his mind at times on different things because um, a good business owner will listen to the ideas of his board and they'll make an informed decision. A good coach will listen to the input of his assistant coaches and make an informed decision. A good pilot will listen to information from the co-pilot and from the control tower and then make an informed decision. Peter is saying here that as men, we have got to not think it's all on our shoulders. We've got to understand that God has put our wife there with us to help us, to serve us, to be a part of this dynamic so that we can be as informed as possible and then make an informed decision for our family, and that's how it begins to work out better for our families when we're serving together like that. But I'd say it's, it's almost impossible for us to realize what life would have been like in that Greek civilization when Peter's writing this, because at that time, in that culture, the man was seen as basically the owner of his wife. So Peter's writing to that kind of mindset and he's trying to help them understand, here's how you can have a marriage that flourishes because in that mindset, the men would have been like, I'm the leader, I'm the ruler, I own you basically and you're gonna do what I say. So he's writing into that culture and that context and he's saying to women that have become Christians that their husband has not yet, he's saying, here's the best way for you to see your marriage flourish and, and you must submit out of selflessness and of course, the Bible teaches us that, that if a husband asks the wife to do something that is a sin or unethical or immoral, then, then she's not to submit to that request, okay? This is where this gets mixed up a lot as well. You know, what do I submit to and what do I not submit to? You know, the Bible tell, would tell us that, that if you're being called to do something that does not honor God, then you don't submit to that. So wives never submit to an abusive husband. The Bible says you obey God before you obey man. Remember last week we talked about how we must obey God before our government even? If the government would ask us to do something that would deny God in any way, then, then we're to follow God and not the government. This applies to this area of our lives as well. In Acts 5.29, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. So wives never submit to physical, mental, psychological, or sexual abuse. You do not submit in those areas. If that's ever the case, if that's ever the case, then you focus on obeying God. You get out and you get to a safe place. Peter is saying that sometimes, sometimes the husband's a good man. He's just not a believer yet. And that's what he's addressing right here. He's saying, you know what? The women had become Christians. And in that, in that context, in that environment, that would have been very, very difficult for them to then have their, you know, teach their husbands and lead them to Christ. So he's saying there's a way to do that. He's saying you have an opportunity here to live in a way that you were meant to live a life that will point your unbelieving husband to the Lord. So the premise of Peter's teaching to the Christian wives is simply this. He's saying if you preach at him, then he's most likely gonna rebel and reject. You think of that culture, the man is over the woman and he basically owns her and she starts to speak to him and preach at him about, about the gospel. He's just gonna get frustrated. He's gonna reject it. But even in our culture today, what do we find? If the, if the woman becomes a, a Christian first, we saw that, that, um, that stat up there, it's a very small percentage of the time that, that the husband then follows. 
but that's probably because a lot of the times, you know, they're trying to, to speak and to, and to teach him and to say, come to church, and they're trying to drag him to church, and he's saying, no, there's a better way. He's saying, you live a life of submission to him and of loving him and of encouraging him and of, of living the way that you're meant to live, and then he will be more likely to follow. And he's saying, if you preach at him, he's most likely gonna rebel and reject the message. But if he sees it lived out, if he sees a change in your life, if he sees that even though he knows whenever he's not being kind, but you're being respectful and you're being loving and you're being submissive and you're showing him the love of Christ, something's gonna change inside of him because the gospel lived out changes people. And he's saying, you know, you don't have to preach at him. You live the life and it's gonna have an impact on him. So in essence, get out of the way and let God do the work on his heart. Let God do that work because you're essentially standing between your husband and God if you're just trying to preach him into the kingdom. But if you live like you're meant to live with kindness and love and compassion and graciousness, that will lead him to the Lord. Famous Christian author and Bible teacher Beth Moore once said it this way. She said, submission is ducking so that God can punch my husband. Now that's funny, right? Because there's truth in that. If submission is ducking so God can punch my husband, sometimes you may want to punch your husband. Sometimes you may think, why is he acting this way? Why can't he get it right? Why can't he figure it out? Why can't he lead his family right? Why can't he become a Christian? And you just get so frustrated, but God's telling you, hey, there's a better way. He's saying, you just step out of the way and you live a life of kindness and love and graciousness and let God do the punching. God will take care of it. God will work on his heart through your kindness and your action towards him. Look at verse two. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I know that's a challenge for sure, but it's a call from the Lord on the lives of wives who have unbelieving husbands. And it's such a difficult thing. I know, I understand that. There's so, it's so complex. I can't even address all of it today in this sermon. What I want us to do, I want us to take a moment. We should be praying for those women that we know that have this opportunity to live out the gospel for their unbelieving husbands because within this church, there we have those. We have those situations where there are wives that have unbelieving husbands. So I want us to join in prayer. I wanna pray for these husbands and their salvation. I wanna pray for the wives that they would be able to live lives that, that honor God and that, that reflect him and um, that would lead to the salvation of these men. So if we would just take a moment, we're just gonna pray right now for that. So if you bow your heads, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your holy word. And God, sometimes it's just difficult. It's hard to live out. It's hard to grasp. And it, it goes against what we think we should be doing or how we think we should be living. And, and sometimes it's confusing. But God, we just pray right now as you are revealing through your word just how we're meant to live. And God, we look at marriages around us and we see them being under attack by the enemy because the enemy knows that if he can take down the marriage, then that impacts the church. That impacts the gospel message being sent out because marriage is to reflect the love of Jesus and what he has for the church. So Father, we pray for the marriages in this church right now. And Lord, specifically in this moment, I wanna pray for those, those women in this church who have unbelieving husbands. And God, this text is speaking right to them. And Father, their husbands aren't Christians yet. And we pray together as a church family that you would empower these women by the power of your Holy Spirit to live the lives that you called them to live. God, that they would live lives of submission to your good plan, lives that reflect Jesus and his love and grace and servant's heart. 
And God, I pray for any of them in this room, if they have husbands that are asking them to do things that are outside of your will, that you would just strengthen them and protect them. And Lord, help them to be able to say, I've got to obey God and not what you're calling me, asking me to do. Father, we know how difficult that has to be. I pray we'd be a church that would wrap around them and and love them and encourage them and, and help them and continue praying for them. God, I pray that, that their lives would, would reflect you and your kindness and your love and your graciousness and that that would be seen by their husbands. And I pray for their husbands' hearts, even in this moment, that they would be, be softened by you and that you would be working on them to, to receive your gospel and that it would come through the way that these wives live their lives. God, we pray that respectful and pure conduct would win their husbands over to receiving Jesus. We pray for wives in this room that have struggled with submission and how to submit and when to submit and what that even looks like. And I pray, God, that they would leave here today understanding that they are called to obey you first before man and that they would learn and be, be learning from your word just what that looks like. May they be emboldened to live God-honoring lives. May they be empowered, Lord, to lovingly and graciously encourage their husbands in the area of leadership that he's called to have in his family. God, we pray right now for salvations. We pray for those men that we know wives have been praying for. They've been crying out to you. They've been crying to you, Lord, and crying out and crying out for who knows how long that, God, you would reach their husbands. Father, if there's any way that they've been in the way, I pray you'd help them right now to see that and to step out of the way and let you do the punching, let you do the work on his heart. We just pray for salvations, Lord. We pray, Lord, that even out of this, that, that we would begin to hear stories of men coming to, to know you through the, the way that their wives have lived gospel-centered lives. So, Father, we lift these relationships up to you. We lift these marriages up to you. We lift these men specifically up to you and ask you to do what only you can do. Would you reach them? Would you save them? And would you rescue these marriages that they would be God-honoring reflections of Christ and his love for the church? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in verses three through four. Told you it's going to be a tough t- text today, but I think it's good. It, it's great. It's, it's, it's empowering. It's exciting. It's, it's God's word challenging us. In verses 3 through 4, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, in quick summary, Peter's saying here to the women in the church, he's saying, if we understand all of God's scripture, he's not saying you can't braid your hair, all right? He's not saying here that, that you can't put on gold jewelry. If he were saying that, we'd have to follow it out in the clothing you wear. You couldn't wear clothes, right? If that were the way we were gonna look at this and be legalistic about it and say, okay, he, God's saying in the word, can't braid your hair, you can't put on gold jewelry. Well, then he's saying you look at the clothing you wear. That you, are we not supposed to wear clothes? He's not saying that you can't do those things. He's saying it's okay to look your best. It's okay to take care of the external, but he's saying keep your priorities in check. So he's not saying you can't braid your hair. He's not saying that you can't look nice. But maybe what you have to do is ask yourself, how much time do I spend each day working on my outward body, my outward beauty? How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? How much time are you spending with your makeup? How much time do you spend looking in the mirror? How much time do you spend working out? And he's saying, now compare that to the amount of daily time you spend looking in the mirror of God's word. Because what he's saying is what's internal is what's most important. 
So he's saying you, you compare what you're spending on the external to what is going on in the internal. He says if you put that kind of effort into your inner beauty, because inner beauty is what's lasting, inner beauty is what doesn't fade away, and while your husband is attracted to your outer beauty, your outer beauty is going to fade away. And we all know that, right? Every one of us is aging, all right? The young ones in here, you don't know it yet. I didn't know it when I was your age, but now I'm 48 years old, and, and like I, I'm driving, and I look at my hands, and I'm like, Where'd those spots come from? You know, I'm like, that looks like my dad's hands driving my car. This is weird. And the older I get, the more I'm looking like my dad and the outer body is fading away. Not that my dad looked bad. He was a handsome man. But I'm saying that as I get older, I notice that the outer body is fading away. And all of us getting older, we know that. So he's saying what you work on is the internal. What you work on, what you spend time on, what's most important is your internal beauty. How much time are you spending on that? I think it's a good test for all of us to look at that and, and think about how much time we spend on the external. Are we spending even a fraction of that on the internal? Because the more time you spend with God, the more sensitive you'll be to the leading of his Holy Spirit and the more likely you'll be to submit to God in a God-honoring way in your marriage. So he's saying, you take care of the outer body, that's fine, but you understand that what's most important is the inner body because the inner body is imperishable. The inner body lasts forever. And wives, let me tell you something. While your husband is attracted to your outward beauty, over the long haul, what he's more attracted to is your inner beauty. Believe me, your outer beauty, you could, you could do all kinds of things to continue to make your outer beauty look good. But if your inner beauty is not there, and if you're, if you're disrespectful to him, if you're not submissive to him, if you, if you criticize him a lot, if you're putting him down, if you're frustrated with him, and, and, and if your inner, inner spirit is, is, um, is complaining and frustrated and arguing, then over time, while he's attracted to your external, he's not going to be attracted to the internal, and you see separation happen. But if your inner beauty is beautiful, and you're working on it, and you have a godly spirit, and a Christ-honoring spirit, and you're, you're submissive to him, and you love him, and you're, you're encouraging to him, and you respect him, and you let him know those things, guess what? He's going to be more attracted to you than he's ever been. That's how God designed us. That's how God wired us. There's that external attraction but for the long haul, what happens? It has to be that internal attraction. There has to be that internal um, respect and that internal change and submission to God first and um, in your relationship. And then you see, you see that love grow. Peter's reminding them, and he gives them some biblical examples. And he says, look at Sarah, the wife of Abraham, verses 5 through 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Sarah gave Abraham her attention and energy. She followed Abraham um, anywhere that he felt led by God to go. And he did some things that were stupid sometimes. He made some bad leadership decisions. He put her life on the line a couple times even with some of his decisions. If you look at Genesis chapter 20, they were, they were going into this area of people that, that, that were wicked people and he was afraid for his life. So he made up a plan and he was like, hey, Sarah, we're going to pretend that you're my sister. Okay, bad idea. Don't ever do that. But he, he's afraid that they're going to kill him because they want her, which means she was attractive. Again, okay to be attractive, but the inner is what's most important. So he was afraid that they would kill him and take her. So he said, well, this is my sister. So then what happened? 
happens is Abimelech says, okay, well, I wonder is my wife. And he takes her as his wife. And then God comes to him in a dream and he's like, why would you take Abraham's wife? And he's like, I didn't know. I didn't know that was his wife. And he hadn't been with her anything yet. So he's like, please, you know, send her back. I haven't, I haven't sinned. I didn't know. And so God tells him, you give her back and I won't kill you. You keep her and you're good as dead. So Abraham made this terrible decision, right? And Sarah was like, all right, I believe that you're, what, what you say is right. I'm going to follow you. And she was submissive to him. She followed him. She went wherever Abraham went. She even called him Lord because he was her, um, he was her husband and he was her authority in that life. Now, that's submissive love. But what's really important here is he's talking about her heart. Sarah had a heart for God as well. And she wanted to follow him and she wanted to, to reflect him and, and what it looks like to live in a relationship of marriage. That sometimes the husband's gonna make stupid decisions, but you still follow him out of love and trusting that God's got a plan here. God's got a plan. He's gonna, he's gonna lead us. But if he's making stupid decisions that, that lead you outside of God's plan and outside of submission to God first, then he says you don't follow that, right? That's submissive love. Then in verse seven, Peter turns his attention to the husbands. So now it's the husbands. We get one verse, all right? Six verses for the women, one verse for the men. I think that's because us men, we just, we just can't focus for long, right? We just gotta have one quick verse, tell us what to do, tell me how to do it, and, and, and I can get there, hopefully. But this one little verse, it packs a big punch, okay? This is like I was talking about a minute ago. Wives get out of the way so that God can punch the husbands. And this is a punch for us husbands, for us men in the room. He says, verse seven, likewise. There's that word again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, likewise, I circled that in my Bible. So he's saying, likewise, just what I've said to everyone else, just like what I said to the wives, just like I said earlier, likewise, men, all of what Peter has been saying throughout this letter applies to the husbands as well. Likewise, you are meant to live as God's people. Likewise, for, you're meant to live for the next world and not this one, men. Men, likewise, you are meant to know, you're meant to live knowing that you're guarded by God, that God will guard you. Men, you're, you're meant to live knowing that you are to trust his plan for life, not your plan, not what you think is right or what you think is best. You trust in God's plan. Likewise, you offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice. This is all through First Peter, right? He's saying, likewise, this is how you're to live. And likewise, you're to live your life as an offering, as an offering to God. You are to, to sacrifice what God has given you and you are to say, God, it's all yours. Likewise, you're meant to live in a way that you live out what you believe. Likewise, you are to live, meant to live submitting to the authority that God has placed over you. So God has placed authority over you men, namely Jesus. And you're to live under that authority of Jesus and love like Jesus loved his church. So all those things are to be true of you in your marriage relationship. And then he gets even more specific. And he says, men, live with your, your wives in an understanding way. Look at that verse. Men, we should be involved with, we should take interest in, we should become a student of our wives. If I were to ask you right now, what are the hopes and dreams of your wife? Could you answer that? Might be a tough question for some of us. What's on her heart right now? What's she struggling with? How's she doing with her relationship with the Lord? Do you know? Are you a student? Are you talking to her? Are you communicating with her? Are you studying her? Listen, guys, when we're dating, we study. We stay up late. We're energized. We can talk on the phone all night. We can send texts all day. We can, we can hang out all night and talk to our girlfriend, our fiance. But once we get married, something changes. 
We've got to keep studying. We've got to know our wife. We've got to understand her. And I know we say, hey, listen, I can't understand women, right? That's kind of that joke in our culture that, you know, who can understand? Well, you know what? If you get to know them, if you put effort in, then you can begin to understand her and know where she is and what her desires are and where her heart is and what she wants. You see, you've got to have a hunger to find out things about her. When you're dating and pursuing, there's that hunger. And the Bible tells us to continue pursuing. Do you still pursue her in that way? Do you know where her heart is? I guarantee if you try to get to know and understand your wife, it'll pay huge dividends for you. If you'll have conversations with her and look her eye to eye and, and ask her how she's doing, ask her how, how her relationship with the Lord is, ask her what she's thinking about, ask her what she desires to do, and you spend that time with her, that's going to develop your relationship because you're going to begin to understand her and what her needs are. Let's look at it this way, man. If in your career and in your job you didn't understand a certain area of your job and you just said, well, I don't understand that and I can't really figure that out and I'm just going to leave it over there, guess what? You get fired. You lose your job. Same way is true in our marriage. If we say, well, I just can't understand her and I just can't figure out where she's going or where she's at or what she wants, then guess what? The numbers show if you don't find a way to understand, you lose your marriage. So we have to we have to focus on, we have to pursue, we have to begin to understand, from God's word right here, you have to begin to understand her and know what she desires. The second thing he talks about, he says you be respectful. You be respectful to her. And this is the part of the verse where people get all offended, at least sight of what Peter's saying, because he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And I know that all of a sudden sparks up, people are like, oh man, weaker vessel, women power, girl power, come on, women are just as strong as men, right? That's what people want to say. But that's not where he's going with this. If you look at that phrase, the weaker vessel, Peter is simply conveying the idea of treating your wife in a delicate fashion, of looking at her as being cherished, something to cherish, something to respect, something to honor, He's saying you honor her, you respect her, you cherish her as the weaker vessel. And all he's referring to there is the physical component. Because as a general rule, the husband is going to be physically stronger than his wife. I know sometimes that may not be the case, but as a general rule, that's what he's saying, that you are, you are stronger. And it's been compared this way, is that if, if I had a, like a Tervis mug up here, right, those are, those are tough. Those are, those are, you know, I could drop it, it's not going to break, and that kind of represents the man. It's a little bit tougher exterior, it's, it's meant to be that way. But the woman, if I had like a, a, a fine piece of glass crystal up here, I'm not going to just drop it and treat it like I would a Tervis. I'm not going to toss it across the room. Tervis, you could, it would bang around and it'd be fine, it could still be used as a drinking vessel. The glass would break he's saying you understand that you are to use your power and your strength to protect her honor her cherish her you prefer her you put her needs first you use your position of strength men to protect to serve and to um, provide for her not putting yourself first because this this is so important to grasp from this passage he continues on, and it's because you are heirs together in the grace of life. You see, husbands and wives are to be co-heirs of all that God has to offer. And when we live together in a way, in that way in our marriages, then we point others to the gospel of Jesus. So Peter's saying, husbands, you do these things, and you treat her, and you cherish her, and you honor her. Then you see, he says, since they are heirs with you of grace of life. So you are to lead your wife as a co-heir of the grace that you've received. So what 
Peter's doing in that context is he's taking what they understood as the man owning the wife, and he's taking that and he's shifting it. He's making a big, bold statement in that context. He's saying it's no longer like this. He's saying she is a co-heir. This would have been something that would have rocked their world. He's saying she's no longer under you. She's a co-heir with you. And if you as a husband would love her and cherish her and protect her, then it starts to look like this. And you are together. You're there. You're protecting. You're providing. You're pastoring her. And you're loving her as Christ loves the church. Then now it's easy to lead her. She's going to go where you go because of how you're leading her. But if you're not... And if you treat her as under you, then you just bang up against each other and it gets frustrating. Even if you understand, okay, we're co-heirs, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna protect her and, and, and provide for her. I'm just gonna kind of be here beside her. Then you, you, you see there's friction that happens. So God's saying in this, he's saying that the woman is equal, co-heir with the man, but somebody's gotta lead. So man, you lovingly lead. And back then that was unheard of. And today it's kind of unheard of as well. And what was taking place here that Peter is, is sharing, it's revolutionary. And this principle that women had equal spiritual rights with and, and this relationship um, with, with God w- would have not been acceptable in their culture. But he's saying that's the case. And if you look at Galatians 3, 26 through 28, Paul wrote this. He said, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, break that down. Clearly, there's still male and female. We know that God created male and he created female, but he's saying in God's eyes, through your faith, there's there's no difference. You're co-heirs with Christ. So you grow spiritually by putting yourself into God's word. You be intentional about understanding where your wife's heart is and you be a man that's worth following and being submissive to. And all of a sudden, the marriage relationship and dynamic begins to work the way God intends it to work. He says you include your wife in the entire process of leading your family. You communicate with her. You ask her what she desires. You know and understand where her heart is. Then you make an informed decision that's best for your family. And that's how the leadership is to work with you side by side. You there protecting and loving and cherishing her as your wife. Pastor J.D. Greer says it this way. He says spiritual leadership is not licensed to do what you want to do, but empowerment to do what you ought to do. Because you see, it's not really easy. But God is empowering us men to lead our families. God is calling us men to do what we ought to do. So we ought to do what we ought to do. And when you do, you'll see how Peter closes out this verse. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And I don't know about you, but I really want to lift up unhindered prayers to the Lord. I desire to have unhindered prayers. And this is a big, bold statement. He's saying that your prayers to God are hindered because you're out of fellowship with your wife. Men, that's the case many times. Our prayers, they seem like they're hitting the ceiling and they're not going anywhere because our our relationship with our wife that's supposed to look like Christ's love for the church is out of whack. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And the idea is this, that when we approach God in prayer, most likely it's because you need something, right? So we go to God in prayer because we need something. And prayer comes from this position of powerlessness. That's why our posture is so important that we take a knee. When we bow a knee, that's that saying, I'm submitting, I'm surrendering. God, I'm here before you. I'm down here. God, you're up there. And I'm praying to God because I recognize he has all authority. He has all power over my life. So men, listen to this. 
If you've abused your position of power in your marriage to serve yourself and not your wife, then why would God in heaven take his position of power to serve you? That's why our prayers get unanswered and they're hindered because we've got it all mixed up. Why would God answer our prayers when we're abusing our position of power and authority? But when you live out of the position of leadership in a God-honoring way, the way he's called us to do, in a servant-hearted, focused way, treating your wife with honor and respect and loving her, then you become a husband we're submitting to. And he says your prayers to the Lord will not be hindered when your marriage is flowing like it's supposed to. Then, then there's... Um, there's a general scriptural principle that the gospel is all about a God who is strong. The gospel is all about our God who is big and strong, and he gave up his rights to come here to surrender to death for us. He used his position of strength to serve us the weak. And those who believe the gospel should become like the gospel, meaning we use our position to serve others. One of my favorite verses is found in Ephesians 5, 21, where the Bible says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and that becomes the posture of every Christian, then we will begin to see marriages flourish. We'll begin to see relationships flourish. Yet so often we get mixed up because we get focused on self and we don't apply God's way to our life. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. See, if you try God's way, I guarantee you God's way works. But so often, it just seems so difficult that we just don't even try it. Many men are not leading in their marriage because it's difficult. It is. It's hard. But then we just don't try. We give up. Many women are not submitting to their husbands in their relationship because it's difficult. It's hard to do that. So they just don't try. A life of submission is not an easy life, but God calls us to a surrendered life, a life of sacrifice, and sacrifice is difficult. And God tells us that there's a way that we're meant to live. And when we choose to follow his ways, he says your prayers will not be hindered. I know maybe you could use some help in living this out. I think we all can. And it really begins with surrendering our life to the lordship of Jesus. You see, everything changes when you submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I know because it's just a fact that while we come in here and we, we put on our church faces, you know, we, we get dressed up and we come in and we, we make it look like everything's great. I know that there's relationships that are struggling in this room. I know that there are men who are not leading the way that they know that they're called to, to lead. I know that there are women who are not submitting the way that they're called to submit. I know that there are relationships that are not looking like Jesus in the, in the church. I know that all of us struggle in relationships because we're human. We're in the flesh, but we've got to learn to begin to live out of the Spirit. What I want us to do is I want us to, to take a, a little time as we open the altar and, and just open it up as a time that as couples you can come and just pray and just ask God for strength and for help in this that your marriage would reflect Christ's love for the church. There are singles in this room that, that you desire to look like. Guys, you desire to look like those men that are worth submitting to. Girls, there's those of you in this room that, that you're praying for a future husband that will look like that. And there's just all kinds of different prayers I know in this room. And we're going to open up the altar and just take time to come and spend time at the altar and just kneel before the Lord and say, God, some of us, would you heal our marriage? Some of us, God, would you help me lead like I should lead? 
Some of us, God, would you help me look like Jesus? Some of you, maybe you just need to come and for the first time say, God, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior because that's where it starts. You see, there's good news. The good news is that God has a way that we're meant to live, and when we follow his way, we see that our life flourishes. We'll still struggle. We'll still have things in this world that are difficult, but God's right there with us. So as we open up the altar, I want you to know that everything changes when you submit your heart to Jesus. Let's have a time of submission and just bowing before him. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that's difficult for us to hear sometimes. It's hard for us to, to listen to and, and um, it's hard for us to dig in sometimes and to read from your word and to understand what you're saying. But God, the bottom line is that you just are looking for hearts that are surrendered to you. God, I pray in this room right now that we would surrender our hearts to you in this moment, that we would seek you in all that we are. God, every one of us in this room that is, that is married, we got married with, with big ideas and big dreams, and, and sometimes those dreams just aren't coming true like we thought they would, and it's because we, we get self mixed into it and, and we get out of line of what you've desired for us. Father, some of us need to just come and just bow at the altar and just dedicate our marriages to you. Some of us need to come and just say, God, we're struggling in a certain area. Would you help us? Others of us maybe just need to come and worship you and thank you for, for showing us the way that we have a God-honoring marriage and praising you for that. God, there's so many reasons that we can bow at this altar this morning to worship you and to thank you and to, to cry out to you. Father, there's some, some women in this room right now that they're praying for their husbands to, to receive salvation. God, I pray for them as well. And if they come to the altar, we just join them in prayer and we rally around them and we pray for those men that they would come to find you. God, there may be men in this room that their wives aren't Christians and we pray for them as well and lift them up. But God, may we love well as you've loved us well. Thank you for Jesus, and we know that it's worth it to follow and surrender our lives. We thank you for the grace that we find through the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krause continues in the series, Meant to Live. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.